So this is episode one of Jeff Tang's Hard Pivot Podcast. I'm here with my friend David Phillips, the founder and CEO of Fondo. You guys just announced a three million pre-seed round, super exciting. Thank um, you. So let me just give a brief introduction on David's, as I said, the CEO and founder of Fondo, also the CEO and co-founder of Hackbright, a coding academy for gender equality, which was acquired by the public company Capella University. Also the co-founder of SafeXAI, which went on to raise $220 million from SoftBank and others. Previously an accountant at Deloitte, and also an angel investor in dozens of companies such as Rippling, Flexport, Liquid Death, and Career Karma. Is that a good back intro? Yeah, thanks for the intro. Thanks for having me. Cool. Awesome, yeah. (laughs) So let's just get into it. My newsletter is called Hard Pivot, so let's start with that. Your current company, Fondo, pivoted from the startup you got into YC with a few years back. You were previously called Bloom Joy. So can you tell us more about that decision? Yeah, I think every company I've ever done has always been a ton of pivots. So I think when things weren't working for Bloomjoy, that was first inclination is let's pivot and make something work versus shutting it down and going back to the drawing board. Because I think when it comes down to doing a pivot, you got to look at like, or we're doing any idea, right? You look at what are my assets? What do I have going for me in this moment towards whatever thing I want to build? And when you do that, and we're in that situation where the idea wasn't working, we were running out of money. One of the big assets that I thought we had was just being a part of the YC community. When you're part of the YC community, you're just surrounded by early adopters that that would be that are open-minded about becoming your customer or trying your your app so that was a really big asset i thought and i thought let's rather than shut it down raise money again start from scratch let's continue the path as a yc company and try a new idea yeah and when you got into yc you had a co-founder correct and did that person want to go with the pivot or not so when i initially got into yc i got in as a solo founder and in my first meeting with at the first like kickoff, like Dalton basically scared the shit out of me and also my group partner Gustav and they're like just like reminding me how much work is ahead and I was like shit, I can't do this alone. I need a co founder or co founders and ended up convincing some good friends to join as co founders and then start building Bloomjoy. Gotcha. So you recruited two co founders once you got into YC and then once you decided to pivot, did they stay on or what? So they stayed on through the first iteration of Bloom Joy, And then we basically, I think that shitty thing happens where like the idea stops working, um, running out of money. And it's, we all just have to be like, what do we all want to do at this point? It's kind of like a big inflection point for the company and big inflection point for all of our lives. And we just decided that I would just take the reins of the company and try to pivot and they decided to move on and do something else. But they're both really good friends and, and went on to do really cool stuff. What was the original idea for Bloom? So the original idea for Bloomjoy was to build a marketing platform that helped influencers like monetize their, their following. So if you're an influencer back in 2018, like an influencer was now that creators, same yeah. kind of thing, is like, they have a big audience and you invest all this 
time and energy to building a big audience and then you want to turn it into a business, how do you monetize it? And people sell things. Yeah. There's been really successful creators that create their own brands and sell things. And then there's like a sh just a shit ton of other ways to monetize. You pay per post, sponsored posts. So you got into YC with that idea. Yeah. And at what point did you change? We had to change quickly because Facebook, which was the place where all of our influencers that we were working with had their audiences, changed their terms of service so that you couldn't get paid to share links. Mm -hmm. And so we had to like, yeah, like soft pivot yeah. what we were building. So we did that in the middle of YC. Ultimately, yeah, took that direction, ran that for two years and it was like going well. We were basically, what we had pivoted to was we would make content sites for influencers we had a big writing team. We would write viral editorial content for their sites, and then we would rev share on all the ad revenue from that. So you're like a marketing agency for the Yeah, we became more of an agency, yeah. and it grew. It grew the like customer base was getting over 100 million page views a month. It like was really going great, and then Facebook changed their platform again, and link sharing on Facebook in general like would just get way less traffic. And that just started a snowball effect of like less traffic, less revenue, less rev share for us. But meanwhile, we had built out this whole team to support that business model as like full-time people. And we just wouldn't, we couldn't, we were running out of money. So we couldn't do it anymore. Gotcha. So you did that for two years? Two years, yeah. And you raised how much money? For During that time, we raised a little bit of money after YC, but we really didn't have a, we didn't have a ton of success raising money for that anyway but we but it was generating good revenue and so when we were running out of money it was just like we had already pivoted once in that same space and got screwed over by the decisions that we made on the platform we wanted to build on so we're like yeah we didn't want to pivot within the same thing anymore and that's when we were that's when I was like okay what what do I have that would be give me the most probability of success with a pivot. So then you let go of everyone, or everyone left, like the co-founders left. And tell me about that. Did you just say, oh, I have a mar I have a accounting background? Yeah. And then did you just write a post in Bookface and just try to pitch all the YC startups? It was like a whole process. We had to at the time I wasn't CEO of the company anymore, and the CEO, my friend Jason. And our CTO, Robbie, we basically had to tell all our investors, like, hey, we're pivoting. David, who's not the CEO, is now the CEO. And, and so I basically had to write this email to all of our investors. Hey, we're pivoting. going to try. The goal is to pivot and build a successful company. And step one is I had spent some time thinking about what should the first idea be. And my plan was, like, I'm going to try a new idea for six months and then, like, see how that goes and then either ultimately shut down or it'll work and I'll just keep working on it. What had happened like running up to this point was we knew we were running out of money and we tried to sell the company and we had a buyer, we had a term sheet that we signed and it just, it wasn't a, it was an exit, but it wasn't like a great exit. Nobody was going to really get their money back. And so we we're trying to push them to give us some kind of concrete rev share that would let everyone get their money back. And they kept pushing back on it. And it was essentially signing a term sheet for or signing an asset purchase agreement where we get nothing mm. and, and our investors get nothing. And so we were in that negotiation process for three months. And then it was just like, yeah, this is just, it was just 
you waste so much time thinking, like, how do I do this? How do my investors going to think about me if I don't do this right? And it was just like, you know what? We were running in circles with these people. It was just like, fuck it. Let's just throw that away. It's not happening anymore. And let's write this email. Hey, we're not selling the company anymore. I'm the CEO now, and I'm going to try a new idea. And I'll check in with you in six months and tell you if it worked or not, basically. And was that first idea... Yeah, so the first idea was I needed something where I didn't need an idea where I didn't need to hire people or recruit people because we had no money. And it needed to be an idea that could generate revenue so that we could like grow to a point where we had some more options like raising money or hiring. So it needed to be something that I could that I felt confident that I could do alone for a little bit and that there was like some low hanging fruit of like customers. And so thought, of course, every founder, I had like a note in my phone of every idea that I'd been thinking about over the past few years. Every time I have a startup idea, I'll just write it in there and write like a one-liner for it. And, um, and this, the idea for Fonda was one of these ideas, and it, and it checked all the boxes because it was something I could do because I used to be an accountant before I learned how to code and get into startups. And, and every startup needs file their taxes. Um, and so I thought, okay, this is something that I could sell to fellow YC founders. And I could like, I felt confident that I could deliver on whatever I sell without needing to hire people. So it was like a sort of a self-sufficient MVP. There was like very few blockers to get this out the door. Gotcha. And if you didn't have that much money anyways, why not just start a new company? So I thought about that and I thought about, like, I just, I didn't want, and I think a lot of people have opinions about this, about whether you should pivot or just shut down your company. I had built relationships with the folks who did invest in Fondo or in Bloomjoy at the time. I had family and friends who had invested and I just didn't want to leave everybody hanging. Like I felt, yeah, maybe the VCs wouldn't care. Maybe some of the angels wouldn't care, but I didn't want to, I personally wanted to build a reputation for helping people make money, helping other people be successful. And I didn't want to take the L. I didn't want to lose. We felt like losing. And so I was like, the amount of dilution that existed because of this was like worth the benefit of not letting people down, the benefit of still being a YC company, and the benefit of not having to go and apply to YC again and try to raise money again. Like, it was just like, it was just, uh, yeah, it just made sense to just keep going. Gotcha. But how long did you grind it out just by yourself <laughs> before you had enough money to make the next step, which I guess might be hiring? Yeah, this was in like November of 2019. And uh, I, was, I was thinking about this idea and I made like a simple landing page And I saw that Sam Parr, the founder of The Hustle, had tweeted that he needed help with accounting. And I was like, oh, awesome. Like, my first warm lead, someone who needs this. And I'm going to put this landing page together, and I'm going to DM him and and just see if, if he's interested in this idea. And so I did that and ended up it forced me into oh shit i need to put together like a sales deck and pitch him and now his his president at the company adam on fondo and go through that whole like that whole process of trying to get them as a customer and in the meantime i thought yeah can i find someone to actually help they were a pretty big company at the time and they needed like a controller level accountant 
And I happened to have a close friend that I'd used to work with who had her own bookkeeping company, Megan. And I was like, hey, will you take on this customer with me and we'll just like rev share? We'll do like a 70-30 rev share. You get 70%. Bondo gets 30%. And she was on board. And so then it was like, did the sales call. Then she joined on another follow-up call. And then we closed them as a customer. And then, and then I sent the email to the investors because it was like, we had something. And how did they receive that? Most of them just didn't answer, which is very typical. Yep. I think, yeah, I mean, I think it's just, as a founder, you obsess and worry so much about what other people think. Sometimes, some founders do. Yeah. I did, and I do. And so it was just like, it was typical. I had some very supportive investors. Transmedia Capital, Capital was one of them that like, just have always been super supportive. And they just, they had my back doing this pivot. And Greg from Anorak, Chris and Peter from Transmedia, they had my back and were like, yeah, go for it. And so once I had their buy-in, even if no one else, like I had their buy-in before I sent that email too. And the fact that nobody else really cared or responded, I was like, it's fine. Like I got, I have the wind in my sails from these people and that's, that's enough. Yeah. Gotcha. That was a really good background. Okay. And so was it clear from that first customer you had that this was going to be it, that you have conviction or was it more of a slow process? I did. At the time I was like, I had to, you have to grind to get your first customer. And it was like, the lead was there and like he responded to my tweet, to my DM and like I got the meeting set up, but then I, they had hustle, had hustle that week or or like the next week or something. And I went, like I I went and I was back to grinding and like being desperate to get a customer and like going to that conference and just like doing what you have to do. And I was like, shit, what have I gotten myself into? This is going to be my life now for a long time. (laughs) This is going to be hard. And ultimately they did sign and it was a big contract for us. It was like, you know, they're a big company. They were going to pay us like five grand a month. And I was like, wow, okay, great. Like this is going to work. Like, we, the first goal is like, okay, how do we get to 83K in MRR so we can have a million dollars in ARR? It's like, I only need 15 more of these and we're going to be there. And I thought, I have a bunch of startup friends, like I've invested in startups, like I know I can get at least 15 of them to sign up for Fondo. And so I sent that email, and I think it was like December that I sent the email to the investors. And then I started hitting up my friends and nobody wanted to sign up. Oh, wow. <laughs> Nobody wanted to sign up, and it was because everybody, all of my relationships at the time were people who had been doing their startup for a couple years or like later stage, and like they already had somebody. And if they didn't have somebody or they wanted to switch, like they didn't want to switch to someone brand new and not, what if I pivoted again? Or what if it didn't work out? Now they put their whole accounting on our system and then we're gone. So it was just like, so December passed, couldn't get any more companies, then January and I was like I was like oh I'm gonna go hit up um, Kirsty at YC YC CFO and see if YC will just recommend me to all the portfolio because like I know what I'm doing we have a customer paying us five grand like every YC company should be using us. Gotta fake until you make it. So I so I met up with her and did like office hours with her and got some really good advice and but it was really hard to get that endorsement from YC 
even as a YC company. And it was like, she was like, we really, we can make recommendations based on the community. We don't make just blanket recommendations to one vendor or another. I recommend that you build a good reputation within the YC community. And so I'm like, okay, so that's, that's what I need to do. I need to like work with more YC companies and, and earn that recommendation. And, and so that was January, then still didn't get any customers February. And I was like, shit, like this might not work. Like, whatever. It's still just you at this point. It's me and Megan. Okay, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I was like, this isn't working, but what else am I going to do? And then one company, one of my friends who, who was an investor in public recreation was a YC company. I think they were in like a summer 19 batch. And I was talking to Jennifer, their founder, and she was like, this Delaware franchise tax, like, process is super confusing and annoying and every founder is, hates it like that, that she was talking to and I was like oh that's really interesting she's like, you should do this for people and I was like that's a really good idea and and I had never really posted on Bookface before and so I didn't really realize the like, benefits of it and that this was like two years after doing YC and I was like because uh, it's intimidating you don't want to like you don't want to like get zero upvotes and just <laughs> yeah. so I was so I was like all right, I'm going to, uh, I'll post this and ended up posting to that. We would do, we would file Delaware franchise tax for free for the first 10 founders who like signed up and made the landing page. And at the time my brother Dylan was living with me. And so, yeah, so we were both at the house and posted on Bookface, and, and it actually worked out really well. And we got a hundred companies that signed up. Damn. Yeah. So that was our, that's when I was like, oh shit, this could actually work. That wasn't for months. Like no, <laughs> yeah, that was like just with one customer for a few months. Yeah, like three months with just one customer, and then from that Delaware thing, you got a couple. Yeah, of so then months. so Dylan started helping me, my brother, and then we called my sister Diane. She came over, <laughs> and we both and then like the three of us like just camped out and filing Delaware franchise tax returns for like all these startups, wow. and it was a lot of fun. Did your siblings have a job? So at the time, they were both available, so that worked out. And this was right before COVID. This was like February of 2020. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and so we were doing that, and uh, and I was like, oh shit, this is all we have to do to get customers is post a book face, and, and we got a hundred customers, or free customers. And then it was like, oh shit, like I have these hundred people, we just did their Delaware franchise tax and it's, but I forgot to try to upsell them or convert them to customers. Yeah. And then I was like, oh shit, I got to send all these people emails and try to get them to buy bookkeeping from us yeah. and emailed everybody. And maybe 10 companies were like, okay, let's do it. And I'm like, okay, let's do it. So then we got our first like 10 customers started doing that. And, and then the grind just kept going and then COVID happened. Yeah. So then it was like, what the fuck else am I going to do other than grind? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So that was like the first little era of Fondo. Yeah, yeah. So, very cool. Um, were there any other challenging periods since then? Yeah, every period. Every period I think is really challenging. I think I'm really happy that I that decided to do this idea because... It's something that I, believe it or not, I love accounting, I love taxes, yeah. and I love startups. So it's like really exciting. It's a really exciting problem to solve. I love working with all the customers that we work with. Like it's, uh, Yin from Pulley says this too, you gotta, 
it helps when you love your customers, right? Because yeah. you're going to be, that's who you're working for, right? You want to, you want to respect them. You want to like appreciate what they're doing and be able to relate to them. And so I'm really glad that this idea has worked out so far because there have been a lot of challenging periods. And it's, if I didn't care about this idea or the customers, I would have just been like, yeah, fuck Sorry, it. Yeah. yeah. And also that the market's really big. It's like a really big opportunity. So it doesn't, there's just, there's no doubt that this is what I need to be working on, which helps get through all those shitty times. Yeah. <laughs> that was good. That was good. So we touched upon this a little bit, but what's it like working with your family? It's honestly, it's great. It's, I'm a huge fan of working with people that you know. Yeah. And who do you know better than your family? And so it's, I think, not for everybody, but I really, I enjoy it. And I think it's really productive. I think there's a lot of, I'm definitely aware of how in the workplace, when it has ideas about what happens at a company. And when you have like a CEO and you're working with family members, people can start to say, is this person getting special treatment or that person? And so I definitely am aware of how people look at that. And I'm definitely super object. I try to be super objective about the people I work with as well. There's the relation, the personal relationship, which is you got to compartmentalize the personal relationship with a business relationship and look at the business relationship really objectively and look at what are the important parts about determining whether this business relationship is succeeding or not and focusing on those things and just being honest with each other about when that's working or when that's not and working like you would with any other person that's not your family. But it's really created a good culture at Fondo. We have a lot of people hiring their family members or their spouses and it's working out so far. And so we have this culture at Fondo of like bringing in your friends, bringing your family to help us build Fondo. Yeah. I know my family would just be fighting the whole time. Oh, we definitely fight. Yeah. That... <laughs> okay. That's good to know. Good to know. Okay. So another thing brought up earlier is that you actually got into YC as a solo founder and I'm a solo founder too. You've done previous startups where you had co-founders. What's your perspective now on being a solo founder versus having co-founders? Yeah. yeah, I think it's, uh, I feel like as a founder, whether you have co-founders or not, it's just about like in the early days, it's, it's about surviving and getting off the ground. And so having a, uh, doing that as a team helps make that happen versus doing it alone. And I think it helps when you have co-founders, but it also helps to build a team. If you can build a team and they don't, you don't need to have co-founders to be able to build something with, and early team members are, are like co-founders. And I think people, you bring on early team members and, and give people equity and find like-minded people. It's, work with your family it's like you have people that are like every the main the most important thing is like building something together yeah. versus building something alone and you can build something together with people who aren't co-founders yeah. and so if you can I think building a team is really important whether that's co-founders or anybody yeah the hardest period for me when I was a solo founder was when it was just me and we didn't have a team yet yeah how did you cope when it was just you yeah, I think work, this is where working with family was actually super helpful because you can be totally honest and get support yeah. from your family. And I think if you feel 
comfortable doing it, you can do that with other people on your team. I think, yeah. I think because I've done a few startups, I've learned this along the way. As the CEO, I think as a first-time CEO, you want to make you always want to make sure that you're perceived as right mm-hmm. and that you're not making the wrong decisions, and that you like and that you, when people have questions, that you should have the answer. But at some point, I realized that that's just not true, and that people actually will connect with you more if you're just honest. Yeah. And you're like, and when you're honest with your team, then they can help like get the company out of trouble. If you're like, I, I'm really down right now because I'm not able to get any customers. This really sucks. This is really hard. We need to figure out how to get customers to be successful. And like, I, I'm running out of things to do. And then you have, your teammates who are going to be like, oh, have we tried this or that? And now you have a collaboration and it's let's solve this together versus being like, yep, we're going to get customers. We only have one right now, but we're going to get more and I'll let you know when that happens. Then you're like suffering internally and like, and like fine. People, and people are just like, I think it's fine. But, and so back to your point, if you don't have co-founders, especially like you can be honest with other people and get that camaraderie. Yeah. Definitely being vulnerable builds that relationship. And then it gives the people around you a chance to step up. Totally. Which is what they want to. Not totally. Just told what to do and everything's going to be okay when it's not. Right. Yeah. And I, it's like, I think there's a lot of advice out there. It's don't freak out your team. But it's like anybody who's at an early stage startup needs to be like default freaked out because like it's 99% going to fail. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they're not dumb. You hired them, so hopefully not. But, <laughs> and, but it's, you don't want to trick them into thinking, like, this is a sure thing. Yeah. But it's like, this is, could fail at any moment. Yeah. It's definitely, like, a huge, like, mischaracterization. Oh, caricature. I mean, some, like, big CEOs. Like, <laughs> yeah, we're going to do this, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, uh, it just doesn't work for anybody. It works when the, if the company does miraculously get yeah. customers and work out. Yeah. But it only, you can only do that for so long. You're just yeah. going to burn out. For sure. So what else have you learned like what's changed over time on your perspective on entrepreneurship through the three or plus startups that you've done and yeah yeah i think i think it's just always really hard to get to grow a company and you have to accept that it's going to be hard and and have a really long-term commitment in order to not get totally beat up by all the ups and downs like being like Patiently, patient with a high sense of urgency, basically. Like that. Yeah, because you need urgency to get stuff, but you need patience to not to not burn out. What advice would you give to yourself when you were doing your first or your second startup? I think that yeah, that it's really hard, and persistence obviously is a is really valuable in this game, and so you got to be really persistent and not give up. Um, but that it is really hard and you need to have a really long-term view and, and focus on solving problems for customers. Yeah. That's tough though, because sometimes like people are pivoting or they're thinking about pivoting, they don't, oh, it's supposed to be hard and maybe I'm just, I just need to suck it up. So like, when did you know for your previous companies or previous pivots that like it was time to move on? 
Yeah, I think part of it is knowing it's time to move on because the results aren't there. And part of it is just knowing that you can't go on because it's so miserable. Yeah. <laughs> like you hit a point where you're like, not only is this idea not getting any users, but it just is so miserable trying to get users. And it's, I just can't do it anymore. Like yeah. I got to do something else. And that has always been it for me. And also like, you just be real with yourself and they're like, this isn't working. Yeah. And I think it's different. Everybody has a different threshold for that. But I personally, like my personality, I am a people pleaser. That's part of my personality. And so by me seeing or like interpreting that I'm my, what I'm building is not like pleasing anybody. It's not, it's not doing anything like, okay, it's time to move on. If you hadn't gotten the 100 customers from the Delaware thing, like how much longer do you think you would have stuck doing that? I think I would have gone to the six month mark and wrote the, and then wrote the email to the investors. And then if it, yeah, if it's still, if I still had one customer at six months, I would probably try something else yeah. because that was the time. Like it's all about the expectations and the commitment and I set that commitment. And so it would have been a really, so at that point I would be comfortable with that like binary decision. How has your experience as an angel investor affected how you operated as a founder? I think learning about angel investing and doing angel investing, you learn about all the thing, the ways that investors think and because you're forced to think. And so it's totally changed the way that I rate other startups and my own startup because I start to think about the market opportunity the like markers of success along the way and yeah so it's definitely changed the way i like interpret the game mm -hmm. but like it's i haven't really it's really hard to learn from companies that you invest in <laughs> like you as an investor you just see the results. You don't really see the inputs. You just, you just see the results. And so it's really easy to like pattern match on the wrong stuff. Mm. And so it's really difficult to, to, as a founder, like what have I learned? I've learned things from founders that I've worked with as an investor that like the way they think about things or like the way another investor gave them advice. I'm like, oh, that is good advice. Or oh, that's a good way of thinking it. That'll give me more like insight, but yeah, I would say you just learn more. Gotcha. What is the best advice you've gotten as a founder? That's a good question. <laughs> I think really good advice is to like, it's cliche advice, like talk to users. Yeah. You have to talk to the people that you're building something for or that you want to build something for along the way in order to make sure you're building the right thing. Otherwise, you're just going to keep on building the wrong thing. And you don't want to spend too much time building the wrong thing. What's the worst advice you've gotten? The worst advice is like, this, like this isn't going to work because X. Yeah. No investor knows whether your idea is going to work or not. And you just got to take every advice with a grain of salt. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So... You have done a lot of random, funny, side projects over the years, <laughs> and I feel like I only know a few of them. Today I learned that you did a podcast before, <laughs> and I knew you had a meme page, Yeah. And, but just tell me some of your fun, favorite funny 
side projects you've done over the years? Oh man, the funniest, one of the funniest ones is my friend Ali and I, we work together at Fondo now too. We, um, we wanted to become landlords in SF and we wanted to like do the whole like Airbnb arbitrage game. And so we, Ali had been doing this and had a few apartments where he rented them and then subleased them on Airbnb. And through my last company, I had met a couple land renting office space and stuff that had apartment buildings. And so we like started setting up these deals with, with landlords to, with the permission to sublease on Airbnb. And so it was working great. And yeah, we were going to make this much margin on every property. And we're like, let's just get a thousand of these and it'll be a great thing. And so we started doing it and we had 12 or 13 properties. And, and then this was around the time when this was like 2016, when the city started to crack down and say no more Airbnb apartments for more than like 30 days of the year. And, and so during this whole process, one of our, one of our units ended up getting investigated by the city. <laughs> and we had created all these like fake email addresses for each listing because you can only have so many listings as like an individual person. And with some of these email addresses were just so fake. Jeff, one, two, three, seven, six, seven, nine at gmail.com. And, and it was just like, it just was catching up to us. And, and so then I was like being investigated by the city and like I had to meet somebody from the city to come check wow. out the property. And I was like, oh man, this is just not worth it anymore. And so had to like, had to stop doing that. But it was a lot of fun. The idea was awesome. And it was like, it was going to be a really, it was a real estate business. Who doesn't want to like dabble in real estate? And anyway, it was, uh, it was fun, but then just totally not worth getting in trouble for. Yeah. <laughs> It's crazy. I didn't know the city of San Francisco enforced those laws. Yeah, they had a whole department. Cool. Tell me about the meme page. I want to know more. <laughs> the meme page. The meme page is really funny. My, my brother, Dylan, who I also worked with at Fondo, he had this meme page that had like 700,000 followers on Facebook. And it was called Nights That End Up Being a Crazy Story to Tell the Next Day. And it was like... So when the like button came out on Facebook and pages came out, people would come up with these like random page names and create them so that people could like it and it would be like, Jeff likes nights that end up be being a crazy story to tell the next day. And then they would just go viral because then like everybody likes it. And so this page had 700,000 followers or likes and I was like, oh, that's really interesting. Like how do you, what do you do with that type of following? Like how do you turn that into a business somehow? And so at the time, like meme pages were becoming really popular and I love meme pages. I think I just, who doesn't like to laugh at yeah. funny shit on the internet, but I'm not like creative at all to like, come up with memes. <laughs> so I was like, damn it. I was like, oh, and then there started to be these pages of people who would just share other people's content. And so I was like, oh, okay, that's allowed. Like we can just share funny stuff that we find on the internet. Yeah. And so I started setting up, this was like when Zapier was new too. I set up these zaps that like every time certain pages would post, like pages that I thought had good content, I would automatically post to this Facebook page. Wow. And so then it was just like, went from this like dormant, like random page till starting to get engagement and likes. And it had such a huge audience. It was like, you could see, I got to experience 
what it's like to like put something out there and just get like thousands of likes yeah. and you just it's like a rush oh my god you're like <laughs> yeah. it's like damn this is crazy and I was like okay I'm gonna I gotta learn how to I gotta figure out how to monetize this so I just kept doing the meme things and ended up talking to some people my friend Peter at the time he had built an entire started building this like media company called Shareably and it was around the time of like little things and like BuzzFeed all these things were going really popular and yeah, he was building this like viral media property. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. Like, how does that, maybe that's how I can monetize this page with so many followers. And so started, so I created a WordPress blog and I was like, nights end up that end up, nights that end up becoming a crazy story tell the next day is not a very catchy name. So like you can change your Facebook page name like once at the time. And I was like, I gotta change this name. And basically gave myself a hard deadline. Like, okay, by Tuesday, I need to come up with a new name for this page. And then that's blog's going to be called. I'm going to start, like, putting editorial content out there. And uh, I couldn't come up with a good name. And, like, at the time, the two most popular memes on the page, one was about pizza. And one was about, like, a champagne bottle or something. Yeah. I was like, I'm just going to call it Pizza Bottle. The name doesn't matter. I just need, like, a name. And then I've since definitely regretted calling it that because like you can't do anything with that name, but yeah. created a blog for it and it ended up, we were able to recruit someone who was a follower of the page to become the editor and yeah, had this little media property and then learned the whole game of like link sharing for media properties and how that works. And then, and then ultimately that's where the idea for Bloomjoy came out. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So okay. that was that. That's okay. So, okay. That's yeah. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, it was crazy. It was really crazy. Did you were you doing the meme page while you were still running? No, it was after Hack. Hack so okay. after Hackbright got acquired, I I was no longer there, and I was just figuring out what I was going to do next. And this was like a fun thing to do, like just like a fun media memes and all this stuff I was like yeah let me like figure out what this is about for a little bit yeah and pizza bottle got it, it pizza bottle itself grew to like 100 million page views a month at oh. one point and even when it was called pizza bottle yeah when it was called pizza bottle okay. it was through like that page is I met we hired an editor I was like hey is anyone out there want to we're launching a blog anybody have experience like being an editor at a blog and want to write for pizza bottle and met Alexa who was our writer she was the editor and she was like a one person show like putting out like 12 articles a day of like viral content wow. and then Jason who was my co-founder he messaged me from the page too and was like hey I was CEO of Distractify I grew that to 10 million in revenue and now I have a consultancy where I help pages like yours monetize and build a better following oh wow this is like exactly the person I've been looking for and so then me and him partnered up and he's the one who like grew Pizza Bottle to like 100 million page views. And then did you guys like sell it for anything? Or no, what? we still have it. So you can actually still go to pizzabottle.com. Are there, are the memes still running? Like fresh? Uh, there are still some memes running. Nobody's really on Facebook anymore. That's true. <laughs> but it's, I think the site gets like 800,000 visitors or something every month. Yeah. But it's all through like link swapping and all that fun stuff. Wow. What a ride. <laughs> <laughs> um, when did you know it was time to stop working on Hackbright? I was like really burnt out when I was working on Hackbright. It was just a really tough 
like from a like operating perspective to make Hackbright successful was really hard because it is fully dependent on like helping people change their lives and change their careers and people are dropping everything in their life to go learn to code at Hackbright to get a job as a software engineer yeah and I did a boot camp you did a boot camp yeah. you know how hard that is yeah. and there's all it's really hard to pull that off as an individual and when you are the like school that's like providing that like the pressure's on because if you don't help people succeed then your company just fails so every single individual outcome is so important to i mean it's obviously important on just like a human level like these people are so there's a lot of pressure and then also from a business standpoint like every misstep is could just be a huge could just cost the whole business and and then it just rightfully because like people are spending a lot of money on this and nobody wants to be like let down yeah. it's hard to do that <laughs> so it was really stressful and i also was like oh i thought i was a first time ceo and i was like this is i don't know what i'm doing and i need to, i felt like i always had to look like i knew what i was doing and so it was just a lot of pressure and I just ultimately was burnt out. And I ended up bringing on a new CEO um, who I met on Twitter, Sharon. Sharon Weinbar joined Hackbright as our CEO and then the company ultimately got acquired. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> All right, what other startups or founders do you think I should talk to who have good pivots or epic pivots like you did? <sighs> I, so I think, thank you for saying that. It was not, yeah, it doesn't feel like an epic pivot, but I guess it was a big pivot. It was a hard pivot. <laughs> it was a hard pivot. It was a hard pivot. I think uh, Yin from Pulley yeah. has some really good stories about pivoting. There's, yeah, let me see who else is. Dylan Forrest <laughs> has pivoted to Steady. Yeah, I can think of some more. Okay, all right. I think, yeah. So today I was texting two YC founders in the current batch and they're both freaking out. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost the demo day, it's approaching. What advice would you give to founders that are pivoting right now? I think if you're pivoting right now, like demo day doesn't matter. There's a lot of emphasis and pressure to have a successful demo day. But like, you don't want to make a decision about your company for demo day. You don't, if you're pivoting and you don't have an idea, you don't want to force a shitty idea that you don't care about to work for demo day because then you're going to feel like shit when you tell your investors that you're pivoting. But then the downside of not doing that is you won't have any investors to tell that you're pivoting. So it's a really tough spot, but I will say that there's so many companies that end up being successful who have a shitty demo day or I think now that YC gives you 500K, like, and the market, it's just so tough right now, I feel like, for any founder, because the market's bad, SVB just collapsed, like, <laughs> VCs, like, yeah. are going to be a lot more risk-averse, and the market of customers are spending less and less money, yeah. so, like, revenue metrics are going to be bad, traction's going to look bad, and if you're pivoting, idea is probably going to look bad too. Okay, so what advice? I don't know. I think uh, I think the advice is really just to focus. Okay, maybe I said demo day doesn't matter, but you really want to take advantage of every low hanging fruit you have, right? And demo day is an opportunity to get in front of investors, and don't force an idea that you don't like to work for demo day. Pick a new idea 
that maybe you haven't tried yet and run with that. Ultimately, ultimately that doesn't as matter as much as like just focus on moving towards getting customers, yeah. making something that's going to get you customers, making decisions that's going to move you towards getting customers. So it's really hard. I don't know. I guess I don't have good advice. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. <laughs> I, 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 okay. <laughs> the advice is it's really fucking hard and you just got to... I hate to keep saying this cliche advice. You've got to talk to users yeah. and build something people want. <laughs> but that's ultimately really what you have to do. You need to talk. Don't obsess over this idea that's not getting any customers because you put out the landing page and you went on product hunt and yeah. no one signed up. It's go do something. Go solve a problem for a customer that you want to work with. And then keep doing that. Even if you do it for free. Like Just find somebody that you want to work with and solve a problem for them and build your startup around that. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's yeah. That's all we can say here. Basically, got five hundred k. We need five hundred k. Yeah, exactly. That's all right, enough. that was super great, David. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jeff. Being that was on good. This. this is fun. <laughs>